You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I am joined once more by my colleague and co-host, Mindy Carney. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Mindy. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be back. I'm, uh... It is good to be back. Episode number two. It's exciting. I know. Can you believe the let us do another one after the last time? Well, I slid a little money under the table, so we're good for another couple episodes, and after that, I'm not sure what's going to happen. All right. Borrowed time. You heard it here first, listeners. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I just had this uh, question pop into my head right before we went on air. Okay. I have a question for you. We were doing the EdTech takeout, and I don't know what your favorite takeout food is. Ooh, that is a good question. Um, well, this may not be uh, particularly uh, common in these parts of Iowa where I am, but I really love Indian food, and uh, that is something that is a known weakness in my household for sure. Really? I've never had Indian food, ever. It can be a little on the spicier side, but um, in the UK... Indian is kind of like the second cuisine, where here, Mexican food would be probably the alternative to American food in the UK. Indian is the alternative to uh, UK food. Interesting. We'll have to go for Indian sometime. I really like spicy food, so I think I'd be okay with it. I think you would. Yeah. Hmm. Well, now I know a little bit more about Jonathan Wiley. Now everybody knows a little bit more about Jonathan Wiley. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So should we get started? Let's do it. All right, so uh, we're starting with um, some five takeaways today. Our top five takeaways of the Apple Educator training program that we went through uh, a couple weeks ago. And we had the Apple Education, I don't know, is it called the Apple Education Trainer Program? Do you think that's what it's called, Jonathan? Yeah, this is a a new program that Apple are trialing out with um, three states. And I believe we were the first of the... uh, states to uh, get this privilege to work with the Apple professional development team, but it's a new qualification that they are rolling out for educators called the Apple Educator Trainer Program. Yeah, we worked with them for two days, and uh, not only our team here at Grantwood AEA, the digital learning team, but we also had some other teacher leaders uh, throughout our district or, in our, or our area, I guess I should say, that came in and worked with us and just had a great time. What a great group of people that was. It was um, fun to get to know some different people and especially being new to the agency, there are lots of people I don't necessarily put names with faces yet. So uh, we came up with a list of top five takeaways for that program that we kind of wanted to share with you. And I'm going to start with the first one, if you don't mind, Jonathan. Sure. And uh, the first one was they did this really neat thing where they had all of us um, in a shared photo stream. So throughout the day, we added pictures and videos of reflections and uh, very different from like a learning management system where you might in your classroom use that same sort of strategy. But we used it on a shared photo stream. So uh, we did talk a little bit, though, about some of the things that would be an implication in your classroom, right? Didn't we talk about how everybody had to have their own Apple ID, so it might not work for everyone, but for this instance, it was awesome. So cool. Yeah, a great way to share some of that learning that we did. I mean, some of the activities that we did, they wanted us to 
you know, capture that in a image format and save that to the photo stream. So it was a good way to see what other people were doing. You could like other people's photos and leave comments on them as well. So there was that peer feedback option on there too. So that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, another thing that we looked at, the second thing we have on our list here was the new iTunes U, which is something we've looked at on and off here at Grantwood for a few years, but we haven't looked at it all that recently. And we were pleasantly surprised at um, how much that has come on and how robust that could be as an LMS option if you have iPads in your classroom because it's really optimized for using those devices and there's a lot of great features now where the teacher can put a lot of their lesson content online and you know set assignments for students. Students can receive those assignments through the iTunes U app complete them in an app of their choice and turn in those assignments just by going to open in iTunes U and choosing the course they want to drop that into. So iTunes U is kind of an eye-opener and that is something that we got some practice with and we'll be working on to help complete our qualification. Yeah, certification. We get like a badge. Yeah, we do. I do love badges. Badges uh, are the best. Badges are the best. Yeah, the, I had never like even really looked into iTunes U. I don't know if it was just because I had too much other stuff going on, but I, I was really happy to kind of get in there and check it out. I was um, pleasantly surprised how much more interactive it was than I was kind of envisioning, you know, that there were more things in iTunes U than just, you know, like an online course. It was more than that. So I'm really excited to kind of get in there. Yeah, I think they've really opened up now with discussions and different ways to present uh, educational content. Yeah, it's it's going to be an exciting thing to kind of get in there and, and try. The other thing was in iBooks, uh, I had never heard of these, and maybe it's just my ignorance, but um, these one best thing iBooks that were um, free for teachers that you could go in and they were books that were created by other Apple certified educators. Is that right, Jonathan? Do I have that right? I think there are Apple Distinguished Educators. That's what it is. Yep, right. And uh, it's just some like tutorials and hot topics in education and how to implement them. And I hadn't seen those before. And wow, what a wealth of information. Uh, I have downloaded quite a few that I'm looking forward to sitting down and, and looking at. Yeah, they were really uh, practical as well. Just very simple things that you could do in the classroom. One of the ones that I read about was called the Six Word Story. And I think that was by Don Goble. And he was talking about how you could do six-word stories with students in the classroom using video. So that was nice, really interactive. He had lots of examples of how to do that. Another one I looked at was called The Shooting Gallery, which um, is not as violent as it sounds. But again, it's another video one. And it just really takes you step-by-step step through these books. They're, they're probably not any longer than 20 pages, some of them. And really interactive, lots of multimedia in them. And they're done by very well-respected educators in their field. Yeah, great resource. Definitely give that one um, give that one a look. And they're all free. And they're all free. Yes, we like free. Uh, something else we liked, this is the fourth thing on our list, we looked at the potential of interactive presentations. So the Apple presentation software is called Keynote, and we did these interactive presentations together where... 
unlike a traditional PowerPoint or Google Slides presentation where you would just go from slide to slide to slide, uh, we looked at ways of linking slides together so that you could create learning experiences or learning activities for students where they had some choice and variety of how they worked through the presentation. So you basically the way it works is you would create some kind of menu option so that you go through the slide, slide by slide, until you got to some links that would link you to another part so you could just explore and discover different things. It made me think of things like a choose-your-own-adventure story where you could create a story, you're telling that through Keynote, and then you get to a point where you have to make a choice and a decision. And as we know, in choose-your-own-adventure stories, all decisions have consequences. Yeah, one of the things I thought was neat, too, was using it kind of as a quiz um, and letting that quiz then give some feedback to students who are taking the quiz. I think we tossed around some ideas about putting some instructional videos then in the quiz. So if the students didn't get the correct answer, it would be like, hey, watch this video and it'll help you sort out this information. Um, just a just totally different way of looking at a keynote. You know, we always think of keynote just as a presentation tool you know, getting up and talking in front of your class, but it just has so many different possibilities that I hadn't really thought about until it got into a great group of people and started brainstorming some ideas. Yeah, and we should probably say, because we like to be cross-platform and we have all sorts of, uh, you know, people using different things out there, but, you know, these things that we were looking at with Keynote are definitely possible in PowerPoint and Google Slides and other things as well, but um, it just so happened that was the, the tool that they introduced it to us on. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads to the to the, our last point about our, our last five or our fifth takeaway, I should say, uh, was just that it wasn't all about the products. You would think, you know, Apple coming in that they'd really be pitching their products to us, and you know, they definitely showed us interesting ways to use their products. But they talked to us a lot about how adult learners are different and different things we need to do when we're sharing information with adult learners. One thing that really stuck with me is uh, how. Many times as adults, when we are interacting with others, we say something like, yes, but, and we always find an excuse or something negative to add on to it. And so they really challenged us to, instead of saying yes, but, to say yes, and, and kind of leading to um, accepting that something that someone has told us and then finding a way to extend it or change it or um, add to it a little bit. And that really stuck with me. I really thought that was kind of powerful. Yeah, they did a lot of ideas on how to create a culture of learning. And uh, not all of that was uh, directed at students as well. It was about, because this program is aimed at teachers who may be teaching other teachers, like Mindy and I do, like tech coaches do in districts and like other people do, that they also went over some adult learning strategies. And a lot of those were things that Mindy and I will have, have seen before in the work we do, but there was lots of... Um, good examples thrown in there, lots of good reinforcement, lots of reminders of things that you should be doing when you're doing professional development with adult learners. So one um, other way that they talked to us or showed us how to use um, when we're working with adults is to create a collaborative keynote. So each one of our groups had a different slide and we had to come up with different characteristics of strong adult learning presentations. What are some characteristics that you would have in adult learning presentations or sharing. And uh, that's kind of an interesting way to be a great way, something that you could put into your classroom uh, to have the, a collaborative keynote presentation. So everybody has access to those slides and can go back and reference it as, as they need to. 
All right, so that was our behind-the-scenes look at the Apple Education Trainer Program. It may be something that you see coming closer to you in the near future because um, we are part of a pilot program when we're doing this with Apple, but they are definitely looking to roll it out to more places soon. If you have any questions about that, anything that you're curious about, did they talk about this or that, then you are more than welcome to email us and let us know. You can email us on podcast at gwaea.org and send us any questions, comments, ideas you have about that or anything to do with the show. So should we get started? Are you ready? Yeah, let's jump into our main topic for today, which is Twitter tips for teachers. A lot of people, I hear a lot of teachers say, well, you know, what's the big deal about Twitter? I, I hear about Twitter all the time. I don't really get it. Why as a teacher should I be on Twitter? And I think that when I first got on Twitter, the thing that I really enjoyed about it was that uh, it gave me a connection with other people who were in the trenches, uh, who were trying new things. And uh, I, I didn't feel alone in some of the battles that I felt like I was uh, fighting and it really allowed me to kind of get inspired to try some new things, knowing and seeing other people's ideas out there. Just thought, you know what, I can do this too. And the last thing is just getting connected. I think sometimes as educators, we have so much going on in our classrooms that it's hard to see what's going on in the world around us and to stay up to date on the newest ideas and philosophies and strategies. And Twitter gives us the opportunity to kind of see what other people think is important and uh, it's it's a little bit quicker than going out to do some research on your own. Would you agree, Jonathan? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think it's one of those tools that have just become increasingly important for educators. I mean, Twitter for your average person walking down the street may not be as relevant as it is to educators because there's so many educators on Twitter. And I think one of the great things about being an educator is that we are also willing to share and help each other out and this is a great venue for that and a great way to connect with people that you may not normally have the chance to meet. Yeah, and I think that's an important part of Twitter is once you get on it, uh, I, th I think it's important that you share your story a little bit too. And sometimes it's kind of scary to put yourself out there. But uh, Jonathan always makes the good point of if it's it might be obvious to you, but it's something new to someone else. And I know when I first started sharing on Twitter, I didn't think it was a big deal, some of the stuff I was doing, but it was really great the amount of feedback that I got from complete strangers wanting to know more about the things I was doing, which actually inspired me even more than than I would have anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe before we jump into these uh, top tips here, you came across an article recently that uh, suggested there may be some changes on the horizon for Twitter. Do you want to talk about that first? Yeah, yeah. So from what I kind of understood from this article is that Twitter is looking to go, well, right now it's 140 character count, which to me is one of the great things about Twitter. You have to be very specific about what you want to say. And, and I really like that about Twitter. One of the things that I came across was that Twitter was maybe going to extend that character count. Uh, I don't remember the number, uh, but it's a substantial number, more than 140 characters. So that I kind of wondered what it would look like to have Twitter have more characters than 140. And I know there's going to be a read more button. So there'll be uh, something that kind of shows an excerpt of what you your your tweet is going to be about. Will it even be called a tweet anymore? Be like a tweet blog instead. 
Uh, but we're just kind of wondering how that's going to change Twitter if people are actually putting blog posts straight into Twitter instead of links. What do you think? Yeah, I think when Twitter first came out, I don't know if I hear it called this so much anymore, but people used to call it a micro-blogging platform because it was a way to share your ideas, but it was the micro part being you're limited to those 140 characters. But this might make it more of a legitimate blogging platform that you could actually write longer posts. And I kind of have mixed feelings. I mean, there's definitely times where I've thought I would like to have more than 140 characters to express what I'm talking about, but... You know, there's definitely the other side where, you know, you actually want to just keep it the way it is. And I think a lot for me is going to depend on how they work with the user interface, how that looks. I guess we'll wait and see. It's not it's not a confirmed rumor yet. It's just something that's been going around the grapevine. So we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, I kind of wonder if it will get away from, I mean, if, if, if it follows through and this is something that, you know, Twitter really goes through with, I kind of wonder if there's a possibility that people will use that just as their blogging site and instead of having their own personal blogs, that this will just become, I don't know, like a repository of everybody's blog. That seems like a lot to me. It's, I like it a little bit more organized where I can just click on links and go into something, but change is hard. Sometimes change is hard. Sometimes change is hard, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where that one goes. We'll keep an eye on it. So, Jonathan, say I'm just starting on Twitter. Do you have any great advice for those people, beginner, beginner Twitterers? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for people starting off, Twitter can be a little overwhelming sometimes. There's just so much information coming at you all the time. So lurking, it's okay to lurk. You can just uh, browse through things that are going on on Twitter, follow some people, see what things they're tweeting about, see how they're tweeting, when they're tweeting, why they're tweeting, and, you know, take in all that kind of data, that information, see um, what other people are doing and, and, and learn from that. Whenever you feel comfortable, then jump in, share some stuff, tweet some things out. There's not really a right or wrong way to do it. It's just the way it is on Twitter. So, that would be definitely something I would uh, recommend. I'd also say there are hundreds, probably thousands of tweets on a daily basis that I don't see. And that's okay. It's okay that you don't read everything. We don't have time to sit and watch a Twitter feed all day long. So just accept that because everybody else on Twitter who uses Twitter accepts that too. Um, there are ways that you can you know, catch up on some of this stuff later if you want to, but you know, don't feel bad that, you know, you missed somebody's tweet because that's just part and parcel of, of the tool. That's how it works. Well, I know when I first started using Twitter, it was, like you said, very overwhelming. And then once I kind of figured out how the hashtag thing worked, I think that kind of helped me out. So for those of you that are new to Twitter, a hashtag uh, is something that kind of organizes all of the tweets into certain categories. So I always think of it like a filing cabinet. And when you put a certain hashtag that's uniform, so lots of people are using that same hashtag, what you can do then is uh, organize or look at just that hashtag. And that kind of keeps all of the tweets that go with that hashtag, like the Iowa Ed Chat. Uh, all of the tweets then that might be Iowa educators are tweeting might put it in that category. So you can look up Iowa, hashtag Iowa Ed Chat and see what people are tweeting about in there. Um, but Craig Bedora 
uses hashtags, he describes them as a television. So you only kind of watch the hashtags that have that have interest to you and kind of ignore all of the other static that's out there on Twitter. He has a really great graphic in that. I'll make sure I share that in the show notes so that you can uh, check that out later. So hashtags just kind of help you organize your tweets and maybe so you don't get so overwhelmed, you can just follow a certain hashtag and give, get all the information about that hashtag that's out there, all the different tweets that are out there with it. Yeah, some hashtags are really popular and you will see them refresh a lot all the time. So things like EdChat and EdTech, those things, you know, every few seconds you will see a new tweet. Um, other hashtags are, you know, less popular. doesn't mean they're any less valuable, but it just means that there's less people using them at any one time. So, you know, be, be aware of that. Uh, there is a tool called TweetDeck, which is really useful for helping to view multiple streams of hashtags at one time. It's set up so that there are vertical columns on on your screen. It's a, a web application that you can get to, and we'll put a link to those in the show notes. But uh, TweetDeck lets you see like your own Twitter feed. It'll let you see your notifications, and you can pick which hashtags you would like to follow at any given time. So it's definitely a common thing that if you ever go to any kind of edtech conference, we have several here in Iowa, and there's lots all around the state, I know. If you look at the screens of other people's devices during the keynote speech, you will probably quite likely see TweetDeck open because they'll be monitoring their own tweets, they'll be sending out tweets about what the keynote speaker's saying, and they can also monitor the hashtag for the conference and see everybody's tweets. So whether you follow these people or not, you will see those those tweets in TweetDeck with hashtag. That kind of brings up a good point too, that if you're not at a conference and want to follow what's going on at that conference, that it's great to find out what those hashtags are too and kind of get the resources that other people are getting while being at the conference and you don't have to be there. That's what's great about Twitter too. Yes, one of the more famous hashtags along those lines is the not at ISTE hashtag. So for all those people in the summer who are not attending the ISTE conference, they can follow along with the hashtag not at ISTE. Lucky for us, we get to follow at ISTE this year. So what else could people use, Mindy, to help uh, minimize the confusion and drama of a Twitter feed? Well, I think TweetDeck is, um, I really like TweetDeck. That's what I use. Uh, But I think it can be kind of overwhelming for people who first begin. So another tool that you could use is something called Flipboard. And Flipboard allows you to kind of create online magazines. But you can also put your tweets into a Flipboard so that it becomes more like a magazine that you read. So you can kind of flip through things. And what I really like about that is Flipboard opens up the links that go along with tweets so that you can kind of see what the article that people are sharing is or the blog post that they're sharing. So instead of having to click on it, it kind of opens it up for you in there. And I really like that. And it kind of slows your feed down a little bit so you don't feel like you have to keep up with so much. So that's what I, one of the great benefits of Flipboard, I think, over TweetDeck. Yeah, it's a really nice visual way to look at your tweets and the tweets that other people are tweeting out. Um, It's available for Android, it's available for iOS, and it's available on the web. So no matter what device you use, you could take a look at Flipboard, 100% free. Another one that I like to use is called Nuzzle. Do you use Nuzzle, Mindy? I don't know anything about Nuzzle. Jonathan, teach me. 
Okay, Nuzzle is a really interesting service because, again, it's available on Android, iOS, and on the web. And what it does is it aggregates all the links that are being shared on Twitter by your followers, and it ranks them in order. So when I log into my Nuzzle, it will say 15 people have shared this article. So 15 of the people that I follow on Twitter have shared this article. And I know that's kind of a popular article right now. People are sharing it out. It's kind of a a great way to filter out, you know, what is the most important things that people I follow are talking about on Twitter. And it will give you a whole list of uh, articles, some, you know, in order, 15 people have shared this, 10 people shared this, 5 people shared this. So it's a great way to be part of that conversation because we talked earlier about, you know, you can't read all the tweets. You can't see everybody's tweets. It's just not possible or you know, you have too much time on your hands, one or the other, but Nuzzle helps you keep up with that pace on Twitter by aggregating all the best links that are being shared from your feed. So there are a gazillion tweets out there, and I have noticed that especially big-name people on Twitter are often repeating tweets. And at first I thought it was kind of weird, but now I get it because I have so many tweets to follow that if I miss it, in one place, I know that I can pick it up somewhere else. So one of the things I've learned about Twitter is that it's okay to repeat your tweets. Your tweets can, um, and, and actually there are some services out there to kind of help you repeat those tweets. And I prefer to use Buffer. So if you follow me on Twitter, you might see that I repeat tweets sometimes. And I use a service called Buffer to do that. And it allows me to schedule my tweets. So if I don't want to send out a whole bunch of tweets at the same time if I'm doing some research myself. So I'll put it into my buffer and send those tweets out on a schedule. Do you use something like that too, Jonathan? Yeah, I use Buffer too. I, I'm a big fan of Buffer. There's a free version and there's a paid version. But, you know, yeah, the message about repeating tweets, I mean, you don't want to spam people by repeating it like 10 times a day. Hey, did you see this yet? But, you know... I, repeat it a couple of times, two or three times a day, because, you know, people are very busy doing their own things. Um, Some people check on hashtags, some people don't check on hashtags, but Buffer is definitely a a great tool. Um, I would say sometimes people must think that I'm on Twitter all the time, all day long. And really I'm not, because I might sit down one night and read like, I don't know, half an hour, an hour's worth of stuff, and I would just add that to my buffer schedule. And the way it works is it will just shoot that tweet out at random times during the day or times that I schedule during the day. And, you know, it looks like I'm on Twitter all day, but really I'm not. It's just buffer automatically scheduling out my tweets when they go out. So that's kind of a pro tip. You'll see a lot of the more seasoned Twitter users using something like buffer or Hootsuite and things like that. Yeah, and I um, I always kind of choose my times that I send stuff out because I think if I want educators to see it, if it's something that I think would be really important for an educator to read, I try and do it outside of school times because I figure if I send it at one thirty in the afternoon, there's a good, ch- good chance they're not catching that. So what's nice about Buffer is being able to choose the time and schedule them. So I usually try and schedule around school hours. So that's just one of my tips. I don't know. Do you do something like that too, Jonathan, or do you do more random times? Uh, yeah, I, I try to schedule around school days, um, for sure. That's a good idea. So, um, when I first started using Twitter, I started with a professional or with a personal account, um, and then realized that, do do you know how many Twitter accounts I have, Jonathan? 
Mindy, tell us how many Twitter accounts you have. I have four Twitter accounts. Do people really need four Twitter accounts? I don't think people do need four Twitter accounts. So to begin, I started with my personal account and then realized that I was going to tweet more professionally and thought that people that followed me as my personal account wouldn't want to read all my professional tweets. So I started a professional account. And then I wanted my class to have their own Twitter account. So my old classroom has its own Twitter account. And then I am the co-founder of the Iowa Catholic Ed Camp. And so I have a Twitter account for that as well. So how do you keep track of all these different accounts and make sure you're tweeting to the right account and, and things like that? Well, I don't ever use my personal one because I... My generation uses Facebook, I think. So I don't use my personal one very often. My professional one is the one I use all the time. I'm not teaching anymore. So the classroom one has gone to the wayside. And the Iowa Catholic Ed Camp one is only, you know, it's like a seasonal kind of thing. So I very rarely do that one. But on my device, it's really nice, I think, to be able to switch between accounts on your device. There's a little um, button on your homepage that allows you to quickly switch between it's not as easy online, I don't think. So one of the things I do is I just use a different browser. So if I have my one account up, I use a different browser than I would use my professional account because I use that one all the time. Yeah, it's really handy to have that ability to switch accounts on a mobile device because it's super easy to do. I, I, I work with two accounts too. I work with the Grantwood Digital Learning Team account, which is at DLGWAEA. And so I will switch between that account and my personal account, depending on which one I want to, to send the tweets to. So uh, let's think about Twitter chats. Maybe the last thing we want to talk about here on Twitter. Are you big on Twitter chats, Mindy? I um, was really big on Twitter chats. And then I felt like I became obsessed with Twitter chats and I uh, took the summer off. From Twitter chats, I think Twitter chats kind of slow down during the summer too. Um, so you needed an intervention, is that what you're I saying? Needed an, I needed an intervention, that is right. Um, my phone was constantly going off then with notifications. My husband was getting a little annoyed, which I was kind of getting annoyed too. And I think the same thing with Twitter chats. I got so excited about interacting with people that I was on every Twitter chat possible and then I got a little bit more choosy about my Twitter chats and really kind of narrowed in on the things that I really felt I wanted to work on or learn about and followed those Twitter chats as well. Um, and I think you have to find a balance between what works for you. And Twitter chats usually happen on your personal time, which, you know, sometimes you just need that balance of, you know, is am I working right now or am I going to spend time with my family right now? And or if, is there something I really am interested in? Or maybe I'm just going to join a Twitter chat one night a week or something like that. So what about you? Are you? Do you get into Twitter chats? I do drop in on them now and again. So Twitter chats, if you've never done one before, is it's like, it's like a conversation around a specific topic that everybody talks about at the same time, usually for about an hour or so. And there's a specific hashtag that, that goes along with that. So here in Iowa, a popular one on Sunday nights is IA Ed Chat. And that's where a lot of Iowa educators get together. There are usually some moderators that work with Twitter chats and they will post out some questions for people to reply to. And it's a really great community building exercise. I don't spend as much time on Twitter chats as maybe other people do. And that's mainly because I'm one of these people that need time to 
process and think about things sometimes before giving an answer. And on some of these chats, they're really kind of fast. And by the time I've thought about a thoughtful answer and how to word it in 140 characters, they are sometimes on to the next question. So personally for me, I, I get more benefit of just following along and reading and seeing the insights that other people are able to put out there. Yeah, and I just came across this cool tool called, um, and actually it's a website. It's called Participate Learning, and I'll make sure I add that link in the show notes as well. But so Participate Learning, I hadn't heard of it before, so I know there's more to it than um, just the Twitter portion, which is actually brand new to the website. But what it does is you get it, it shows you a calendar of the Twitter chats that are happening for that day, or you can choose a different day uh, and look at the Twitter chats. And then you just click on the link and it takes you to a screen that has the history of all the chats prior to when you're beginning. And you just follow along on that one screen. So uh, then when you type in your tweet, it also adds the hashtag that goes with that uh, with that chat. The other thing that like was mind-blowing, it like changed my world, is that links that people add in those chats – gets organized into a resource section in a little menu to the left. And so you don't have to go through and look for different links that people have added. It takes those links and puts it into a resource page. So you could just skim the little resource section and see the links that people have added without going through the whole chat. It's amazing. Nothing like that out there that I've seen. Yeah, Mindy was showing this to me before the show, and I I was blown away by that as well and one of the nice things about it if you've ever done a twitter chat before is that when you join a chat you can post straight from participate learning and when you click in the box it automatically adds the hashtag to your post and counts that in with your characters so that's that alone is a a very handy thing to have on your twitter chat because i know on the chats I've been on before, it's very easy to post something out and then forget to put the Twitter chat hashtag on it, and then nobody sees it, apart from the people that follow you. It's just wandering around out there, yeah. So check out Participate Learning. Uh, we will put a link to that in the show notes. It is a great way to keep up with all the latest education chats on Twitter. So to finish up the EdTech Takeout, we are going to conclude with Tech Nuggets, where Jonathan and I give two really cool tips or cool things that we've seen out there that uh, to send you on your way. So Jonathan, did you want to start? Sure. I'm going to take his full circle here, Mindy, and I'm going to go back to Apple in the classroom because Apple has released a brand new app for iPhones and iPads that I think has got some really awesome potential but maybe not necessarily for everybody because this is one that's really aimed at music teachers and I don't know if we always spend a lot of time talking about apps or tools or websites for music teachers so I'm going to throw this one out there this one is called Music Memos by Apple and it's a free app that's kind of based on the voice memo app that you might have on your iPhone because it's meant for those occasions where you suddenly think oh, I've got a great idea for a song. And so you open up Music Memos, you hit the record button, and you play something out on your guitar or your piano or something like that, and the Voice Memos app will record it for you. The cool thing about it, though, is that after you have recorded your segment, Apple 
quickly analyzes the music that you played and automatically adds a drum beat and a bass line to it and plays it all back so that it sounds like a really finished composed song. And you might think that this really wouldn't work, but I've got a link to a review that David Pogue did on this, and he's got some video demonstrations of how this works in real life, and it's actually very, very impressive. He says sometimes it it didn't work. You know, the, the melody was too complicated or it just didn't scan very well, but nine times out of ten, he had a whole lot of success with that, and I think this could be a really interesting app for music teachers to play with in the classroom. That sounds amazing. I always wanted to be a rock star. This is my this is my opportunity right here. I'm going to download that app right now. I am looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Maybe we'll share it on the next episode, Mindy. When you said you had a link, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe Jonathan has created his own and he's going to share it with us right now. Maybe I'll share that on the next episode, Mindy. Oh, I can't wait. I'm on the edge of my seat. Can you beat that? Ah, uh, I don't know if I can beat that, but I do have something that I think is pretty cool. Um, this is called the, I hope I'm saying it correctly, but the Royal X Smart Mobile. And it's the smallest theater system ever created. And it's a foldable headset. And it also has noise canceling headphones and goggles that kind of wrap around. And so it streams movies from, you know, your Netflix, Amazon, things like that. Does it do YouTube? Uh, YouTube. I should have mentioned YouTube. You're right, Jonathan. You got me. I should have mentioned YouTube, streams videos from YouTube, and um, plays videos from PlayStation, Xbox, so on and so forth. So what I think is great about this for education is that it has customizable prescription vision controls. So what you can do then is take your glasses off, input into it, I believe, what your prescription for your glasses are, and you don't... it. It changes however you're seeing it so that you don't have to wear glasses with the goggles. You can take them off and watch it with your prescription somehow, I don't know, melded into what you're viewing in the goggles. And that's what I think is going to be really great for education. Not so much that this is going to be the next best thing, but the fact that we're starting to think about how to kind of change things to make them work for people that, you know, just don't have great eyesight. Lots of kids out there. Um, and I just think that maybe this little piece of technology could maybe go a little bit further and do some really neat things yet. Is this like a VR headset type of thing? It is kind of like a VR headset sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know that they're necessarily really calling it virtual reality yet because it streams videos, but the commercial that I saw for it, um, yeah, it, it looked more like a virtual reality, but in the description of the actual device, it doesn't say that. So, um, you know how commercials can sometimes be a little bit different than what they actually can do. But if you want one, it's $700. How much? $700. And they're not out yet. They um, are just taking, they were taking pre-orders until the beginning of January. So um, that's done now. You got a discount of $100. But so, yeah, I don't know when they're coming out, but soon, 2016 sometime. So keep an eye out for that. You know, it's probably going to be like most things that are, brand new technologies, the price always starts sky high and over time it just becomes a very normal piece of technology and the price will come down again. So I look forward to that. Yeah, be my Christmas present next year. You sound like someone with expensive tastes, Mindy. So if you enjoyed the show, 
Please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us get found out by more people. And it's a great way to grow our show. So tell your friends, share us on social media, and please send all your ideas and feedback by email to podcast at gwaea.org. If you are so inclined, you could even record a voicemail on your phone. Email us that to podcast at gwaea.org, and we will play it on the podcast at the next episode. Until then... Thank you for joining us on EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. 